0: Doing well. If you're visiting this morning, uh, you're really, really welcome. Hope you enjoy being with us. And yeah, my name is Matthew. And if you're watching online as well, um, then hello, and hope you're having a good time as well. So, Adam last week in his talk was uh, you gave a little parent hack about playing hide and seek and just not doing the seeking bit, but going off and doing your own thing um, or something like that. So. Um, Josiah's not quite, my little boy, 80 months now, he's not quite old enough for hide and seek yet, I can't trust him out of my sight for too long, but I am in the phase where I'm experiencing what I've heard about from parents before, where your children ask for the same thing over and over and over and over again, and Josiah loves nothing more than diggers, and one day I made the mistake of singing Old oh, MacDonald Has a Farm and saying that he had a digger on the farm. And since then, every single day, without fail, multiple times a day, Josiah will ask for EIO, uh, or digger, and uh, you start singing it, and at first, he would only let you sing that verse. If you tried to go, and he had a horse, he'd be lowing digger, digger, so it's okay. <laughs> and now his vocabulary's expanded, that we can also include a cow, and uh, we can also include a barber. Um, so anyway, Precious work working this weekend uh, in the hospital, so I've been sending a few little videos, and so I took a couple yesterday of us uh, singing Old McDonald Has a Farm, and also of Josiah demonstrating his bar-bar coat. So would you like to have a little glimpse into my Saturday? So if you're, uh, Simon, sorry, if you could play this clip for me, have a little watch. Josiah, shall we sing a song? Yeah. What song should we sing? The Digger. The Digger song? Yeah. How does it go? Yeah, you will. EIO. A babble. A babble. You're showing your barbar coat. Babble. Babble. What are you wearing? Ticker. Oh, you're wearing a <laughs> It's a babble. Babble. There you go. So. The reason I uh, shared that with you this morning is as we continue with our Gideon series today, Gideon is also in a, a moment of his life where he's asking for the same thing over and over again. And it also includes um, not a, a fleecy jacket, uh, but a, a bar, bar uh, like a, a fleece blanket. So let's have a little look so far. So in Gideon's story so far, we see that uh, his story is found in the Book of Judges, which is in the Old Testament. And it's not long after God has rescued the Israelites from slavery in Egypt, uh, which we saw in our Moses series. And he's brought them into the promised land. And God had kind of called this people with a purpose. And the idea was he wanted to partner with them to reveal God's love to the world and what it looks like when God and people are united and together and serving God's purposes. And that was the whole kind of call. And he made a covenant that he committed himself to these people. And this was their purpose together. But as kind of the years go on, we see how the people began to, like, turn away from God. They began to copy the practices of some of the nations around them, Um, some, you know, including things like child sacrifice and all kinds of terrible things. And as they kind of moved away from God and copied these nations, then these nations would turn on them and end up oppressing them. And then they would cry out to God, and they'd remember him, and God would rescue them, and he would raise up leaders, which they called Judges. And they would, like, lead them to victory, and then they would forget about God again. And you get this kind of cycle going on. And Gideon is one of these rescuers that God raises up. And we find him at a time when the nation is being oppressed by the Midianites. And Gideon and the Israelites are in hiding, and the Lord appears to Gideon. In Judges 6, this is where we read it. It says, so Gideon's kind of in hiding, and it says, When the angel of the Lord appeared to Gideon, he said, The Lord is with you, mighty warrior." Go in the strength you have and rescue Israel from the Midianites. I am sending you. And then Gideon, who's, you know, only young, he says, But Lord, Gideon replied, how could I rescue Israel? My clan is the weakest in the whole tribe of Manasseh, and I am the least in my entire family. But the Lord said to him, I will be with you, and you will destroy the Midianites as if you are fighting against just one man. So Gideon's kind of, whoa, what's going on here? So he says... If you're truly going to help me, show me a sign to prove that it really is the Lord speaking to me. And so Gideon asks for a sign for God to prove himself, that he will be with him, that he will help him, that he is calling him. And he goes and prepares some food, some bread and some meat and some broth, and he places it on a rock before this angel. And when the angel touches it, fire comes out of the rock and consumes it. And then the angel disappears and suddenly realizes, like, oh, hold on a minute, this is real. (laughs) This is really happening. And then last week, uh, Adam shared with us how God tells Gideon to kind of start at home and to tear down his father's shrines and altars to these uh, kind of false gods. And so Gideon does. But because he's afraid, he, uh, he does it secretly at night. And then the townspeople wake up in the morning, and they're angry. And they, well, who did this? And they want to kill Gideon. And Gideon ends up, it's Gideon's dad, ends up protecting him. And it makes me think of, so last week, Russo and uh, Ruvan, his brother, who's even taller than Russo, popped over the house, and Josiah got a little startled with these two giants walking in. And he he comes and stands behind my legs, like poking his head out. And this is what I imagine, like Gideon is like hiding behind his dad, but the townspeople come angry about what has happened. So that's where we left it last week. And this is what happens next. It says this. Soon after, the armies of Midian, and Amalek, and the people of the east formed an alliance against Israel and crossed the Jordan, camping in the valley of Jezreel. So now it's not just the Midianites, but a whole group together have, like, gathered together. They're going to come and invade, destroy things, steal the food, etc., take away people as slaves. And it says this then, Then the spirit of the Lord clothed Gideon with power, and he blew a ram's horn as a call to arms. And the men of the clan of Abiza came to him. He also sent messengers throughout Manasseh, Asher, Zebulun, and Naphtali. These were the different tribes in the kind of north of Israel summoning their warriors. And all of them responded. And so now you're thinking, wow, what a transformation in Gideon. Like he's, you know, you could see this evidence that God is with him and God is empowering him and strengthening him. And He's gone from like the youngest and the weakest and hiding behind his dad to suddenly he's stepped out, he's been bold, he's blown the rave's horn, he's called his own little clan together, but he's called all these tribes together, 32,000 men in all, and he's bringing them together, he's going to lead them to victory and to safety, and he's like, wow, what's happened to Gideon? Fair play to him. But then suddenly Gideon has a, a crisis of confidence. And we see that he goes back to God, and it says this. Then Gideon said to God, if you're truly going to use me to rescue Israel as you promised, prove it to me in this way. I will put a wool fleece on the threshing floor tonight. And if the fleece is wet with dew in the morning, but the ground is dry, then I will know that you're going to help me rescue Israel as you promised. So at first you think, I, I kind of think, fair enough. You know what I mean? I think it's a big step up from knocking down your dad's altar in the back garden to um, leading 32,000 men in a battle against, you know, three or four allied nations to try and rescue the whole. That's a big jump, isn't it? So I kind of think, all right, fair enough. And then it says this. Uh, Let's have a look. Oh, there we are. There's a fleece. Okay. Then it says this, and this is just what happened when Gideon got up early the next morning. He squeezed the fleece and wrung out a whole bowl full of water. So the ground is dry, bone dry, but the fleece is soaking wet. And you think, okay, wow, fair enough. So now you're expecting Gideon to, you know, get back to the troops. We God is with us. He's given me a sign. Let's go for it. You know, here we go. But next, instead, we see this. Then Gideon said to God, please don't be angry with me. But let me make one more request. Let me use this fleece for one more test. This time, let the fleece remain dry while the ground around it is wet with dew. And so, let's have a look. So that night, God did as Gideon asked. The fleece was dry in the morning, but the ground was covered with dew. And so Gideon asks for another sign And this time, obviously, the other way around, it's like he wasn't quite sure. Oh, could that have been a coincidence? I don't know. But he asked for another one. So what's going on here? So the first thing we see is that Gideon is just an ordinary guy. And he's afraid. You know, he's afraid and he's worried about this big task ahead of him. And I can sympathize with Gideon because if I was in his shoes, I would probably feel very afraid as well. And let you into a little bit of a secret in my family, okay? So my family... They have a little bit of a nickname for me, and they call me sometimes Cautious Colin. Now, I apologize to all the go-getter, courageous Collins out there. It's purely for alliteration. It's got nothing to do with the name Colin, so sorry, Carl. But they call me Cautious Colin because I'm prone to being very cautious, and, uh, you know, I always want to, like, make sure everything's going to work. I always want to know that there's the plan, that everything's ticked off, everything's checked, Um, if there's, like, Decisions to make, small or big, you know, I'm always thinking them through. I'm always double checking. Sometimes we've made a decision and then I want to revisit the decision. And they've got to be very patient with me. And sometimes a little text in the WhatsApp group will come out, like, oh, cautious, Colin's back. Or, and Precious has to be very patient with me sometimes. So I can understand Gideon here and I can sympathize with him. But if you compare Gideon to David, for example, if you remember who went on to be King David, Years later, David's in a similar situation. The Philistine army have gathered to attack Israel. They send out their champion who, you know, would have fought many battles and defeated many people before, Goliath, uh, a fearsome warrior. And he says, you know, to the Israelites, send one person out to fight me, and whoever wins, you know, will take the whole victory. But no one in the Israelite army has the courage to face him. And then David rocks up to the scene of the battle, just a teenager and he's only been sent there to check on his brothers and to deliver some food. But he hears Goliath lay down this challenge, and he thinks to himself, who does this guy think he is to challenge, you know, God and God's people? And I'll face him. And so he gets taken off to the king and the army commander, and he's like, you know, I'll go and take on Goliath. You know, what's the big deal? And they're like, there's no way. You know, you're just a boy, and he's a man of war, fought many battles, defeated many people. And David says, well, you know, I'm a shepherd, I fought off lions and wolves and uh, bears when I'm looking after the barbars. God's kept me safe then, he can keep me safe now, he'll do it again. David, he knows the stories of what God has done in the past, he knows the little things that God has done in his life and kept him safe, and he looks at Goliath, and thinks, what's the problem? Gideon, on the other hand, he also knows the stories of what God has done in the past. But more than that, God has given him a miraculous sign, and spoken to him directly, face to face. But now he needs another sign and another sign. And what we're seeing here is that Gideon is young, he's inexperienced, he's afraid, he might be isolated in this. And so in God's kindness, he answers his requests. And he gives him the sign and another sign. And what really shines through here is God's character, his patience with Gideon. He doesn't say, oh, I've given you a sign already, Gideon. Come on, get out there. But he shows him again and again, and he's patient, and he's committed to him. He's committed to his promise to Gideon, and he's committed to his promise to the people. And even when they've turned away time after time, he's committed time after time. And ultimately, that commitment that God shows, because the nation kind of fail and fail and fail, it ultimately comes with Jesus When God himself came into the world as a man himself, God's love and patience and kindness extend so far that he would come into the world, reveal himself to people, and even then he was rejected and murdered and killed on a cross by the Romans. But Jesus being God himself, death could not defeat him and hold him, but he was raised to life three days later to win for humanity the gift of eternal life and to be reunited with our relationship with God. And what the nation that he called to do all those years ago, what they were unable to do, he fulfilled himself in Jesus. And we benefit from that today. Isn't that amazing that we can know God and his love in our lives and that he is faithful to us? And so in this little moment here, we see God's faithfulness and patience with Gideon. And so there's two kind of things for us. The first one is, when we read this story, it's not for us to think, oh, that's a good technique. Next time I got a decision to make, or I'm not sure about something, or I feel prompted to step out in faith, I'll uh, I'll go and get myself a fleece. I'll get down to uh, oh, hold on, oh, yeah, I haven't got a sight, anyways. Um, I'll pop down to Danelle, or Chloe, pass us your coat, or I'll go to Chloe and I'll uh, I'll borrow a coat look and I'll say, Oh Lord, if you really want me to do it, <laughs> you know, I'll put this outside. Let it be wet everywhere else. Let my garden be dry or whatever. Do you know what I mean? Oh, Lord, if you really want me to do this, let it be snowing in my garden tomorrow. You know, we don't, that'd be nice. But we don't need to invent tests, random tests for God or ask him for miraculous signs to prove it to us, uh, for us to step out in faith or make a decision or listen to him. Because for us, we're in a totally different place to Gideon. The difference for us in our lives, when we have got a decision or a question and we're going to step out with something or something we're wrestling with, and sometimes we might even think, have you ever thought like, oh, Lord, just give me a sign? (laughs) But for us, we don't have to invent random tests or ask for signs like this, because God has already provided for us. We're in a different place. He's already provided for us. We have the Holy Spirit living within us. And Jesus says that the Holy Spirit is the spirit of truth who will lead us into truth. When the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth. We have the Holy Spirit and we can hear from God. We can discern his will and his ways and we can hear prophetically as well, ourselves and through others. And we have the Bible that reveals God's heart and wisdom to us for our lives as we open it and read it and explore and get close to God through it and learn his heart and his ways. All scripture is inspired by God and is useful to teach us what is true. And we have church community we have one another where we can learn and grow and discern what God is saying and to help us make the sound decisions. And for us here, we've got our small group leaders especially as well, where, you know, people who recognize as like safe people who've displayed wisdom in their lives and have made good decisions and are helpful, healthy people that we can go to when we need someone to pray with us or to ask advice or to, you know, join us as we search God's heart or are making decisions. And so it's always good When we're thinking of like big life decisions and things, we don't need to set out random tests like Gideon. And it's important that we don't kind of charge ahead on life's big decisions on our own or even think to ourselves sometimes, oh, well, God told me, God's told me, so I'm gonna do it. Because in Proverbs here and throughout the Bible, it talks about finding wisdom and testing things with others. So Proverbs says, fools think their own way is right, but the wise listen to others. Plans go wrong for lack of advice, But many advisors bring success. And in the New Testament, Paul, who's writing to a church to encourage them, he says, when you hear prophetically, when you're listening to God, when you're discerning what he's saying, he says, don't scoff at prophecies, but test everything that is said and hold on to what is good. And so we're all human and we all have our blind spots. So let's draw on the wisdom and the gifts that God has given us so we can hear his voice and live wisely and know and we can know as well that God wants to guide us. God doesn't want us to be scrabbling around in the dark. What should I do? He wants to guide us. He says, if you need wisdom, ask our generous God and he will give it to you. He will not rebuke you for asking. And in Proverbs, it says, trust in the Lord with all your heart. Do not depend on your own understanding, but seek his will in all that you do. Live your life before him, involve him, ask him, invite him, and he will show you which path to take. So we can have confidence in our lives. We can have confidence as we make decisions and as we make choices that God wants to guide us and he wants to speak us, and he doesn't leave us kind of blindly looking in the dark. So anyway, let's go back for a moment to Gideon and these signs that God gives to him. And to be fair to Gideon, you know, he asks for these signs time and time again, but the hard part for Gideon is still to come. Even though he's got these signs, he still has to go and lead those 32,000 men into battle, into the fight, and to rescue against, you know, an overwhelming opposition. So his faith is still going to be stretched, and that's to come next week. So we'll see what happens. So the hard part is still to come, and he still has to go and do it. And reflecting on this, I was thinking how the key to this story isn't in the signs. It's not about the signs. It's about the obedience that follows. A sign in itself isn't enough. It's about what comes next. If you think back to our Moses series, which we did earlier in the year, Moses and Pharaoh both saw a whole stack of signs, but they had very different responses. So it's not about the signs. It's about the obedience that follows. It's about the heart. And God knows what we need He always knows what we need, and he gives us enough to follow him. It's interesting, in the life of Jesus, there are moments when the religious leaders come to him, and they ask for a sign. They say, give us a miraculous sign to prove who you are, to prove that we should believe you, to prove that we should follow you. So in Matthew, it says, one day, the Pharisees and Sadducees came to test Jesus demanding that he show them a miraculous sign from heaven to prove his authority. It's kind of the same words, a lot of the same words, is what Gideon was asking, wasn't it? So they come. But Jesus, he doesn't give them a sign. He doesn't give them one. He says, no, I'm not giving a sign like this. Now, the truth is, some of these people had already witnessed many of Jesus' miracles. In fact, some of the crowds who were at the feeding of the 5,000 and actually ate the food that was multiplied. Not only did they see it, but they, they ate it. They joined in. They came to speak with Jesus later, and when Jesus calls them to believe in him and follow him, their response was: they answers, "Show us a miraculous sign if you want us to believe in you. What can you do? After all, our ancestors ate manna while they journeyed through the wilderness. They were like, you know, Moses." Uh, you know, this happened when Moses was alive. So why should we believe you? Why should we follow you? And they've just, they've just eaten at the feeding of the 5,000. Isn't that nuts? It's like, what sign is enough? What sign is enough? It's not about the sign. It's about what comes next. There's another occasion after Jesus' resurrection when, you know, he was killed, and he comes back to life, and hundreds and loads of people have seen him and uh, are telling about what happens, except for Thomas. Thomas wasn't there, and they're all telling him, Jesus is alive. Have you ever been trying to convince someone that something's happened to and they just don't believe you? Isn't this so frustrating? You're like, no, it really did. They tell him, no, we really have seen him. And Thomas, he refuses. It's like, arms folded, I will not believe. He says this, they said to, he said to them, unless, I he's like, really, unless I can imagine him, unless I see the nail marks in his hands, And put my finger where the nails are. It's like, wow. And put my hand into his side. I will not believe. I mean, he's really strong. That is really strong, isn't it? And what happens? What happens for Thomas? He's asking for a sign. And this time, Jesus shows up. (laughs) Jesus shows up and does give him the sign. Jesus comes and he says to Thomas, put your finger here and look at my hands. Put your hand into the wound in my side. Stop doubting and believe. And Thomas says to him, my Lord and my God. And then Jesus says, you believe because you have seen me, but blessed are those who believe without seeing me. For us in our lives, we can be confident that God has given us enough for what he calls us to do. He's given us enough. And it's not about the signs, but it's about the heart. But the heart to follow. And each of us, we have enough. He knows what we need to respond and He gives it to us. He doesn't hold back. So, finally, then, a little kind of takeaway. What's the takeaway from this story? It's clear in this moment in the story that God doesn't choose Gideon for this task because he's the best suited for it, like humanly speaking. Gideon is young and he's timid, he's afraid. But God is with him, and God takes him on this adventure. And God knows that ultimately Gideon would fulfill this calling, but he needs help to do it, and God is there to help him. And for us too, God doesn't choose us because we're the best qualified or the most confident or the most talented people in this world, even in this city. He chooses us because he loves us, because he loves us. And he wants us to see and experience his love at work in us and through us. He wants us to experience it, like he wanted Gideon to experience it. He wanted to do it with Gideon, and he wants to do it with us, where we are, so that those around us can experience and know it for themselves as well. In the schools, we've been doing uh, the Alpha uh, at lunchtime in one of the local schools, and one of the stories that it shows in one of the episodes, um, this multimillionaire tells his story, and he says how um, he had a difficult childhood, and at, as, at a young age, it made him determined that he was going to be a millionaire and that, like, his future wasn't going to be his childhood, and he set, he set himself the goal that by the time he was in his 30s, he would be a millionaire, and at 35, he achieved it. He was a multimillionaire, had a huge, big company, He says he had a nice house, Lovely wife, lovely children. I had everything that I wanted. I could go anywhere I wanted. I could do anything I wanted. I had more money than I could ever possibly spend or do something with. And I'd achieved it all, but I still wasn't happy. And there was this, like, longing in his heart that hadn't healed. He says at that time, he, um, he, had, ep- he had epilepsy, and he would suffer from seizures from time to time. And they had a cleaner in their house, a lady called Bonnie, and he said that one day, Bonnie turned up at the house, and she said that she felt prompted by God to come and offer to pray for him. And he said, well, he thought to himself, well, it won't do any good, but well, I like Bonnie, um, the cleaner that works for me, so he agreed. And so Bonnie prayed, simply prayed for him in his home, and he said that when she prayed for him, he suddenly had this experience of God's love, and he began to cry. And he didn't know why, and he didn't know what to make of it, and he didn't know what he was. Uh, what was happening, but he thanked Bonnie, and she went home, and he said he knew a neighbor on his street who went to a church, and so he went around to his neighbor's house and said, can I come to church with you tomorrow? And he was like, sure, and so they go along together, and he said when the band started to play the worship music, the same thing happened. He just like burst into tears, and he experienced this overwhelming presence of God's love, and he suddenly found what he'd been looking for all of those years, and he found healing on the inside, And he became a follower of Jesus. And this story now has gone all over the world and is shared, you know, to young people. And what I love about this story is the hero of this story is Bonnie. Bonnie is the hero of this story. And I imagine it took a lot of courage from Bonnie, the cleaner, to offer to pray, to go around and offer to pray for her boss, who was very openly kind of didn't believe in God, et cetera, et cetera. And I don't know about you, but I know there's times in my life when I've had a thought of this nature where you think to yourself, well, if I was the millionaire, or if I was the boss, or if I was the supervisor, or if I was in the position of power, or if I was in the popular crowd, or if I was more confident, or if I was this, or if I was that, then it would be easier to share my faith. Then I could do it, or then I could offer to pray, or then I could be generous if I was this, or if I was that. But God calls us where we are, and who we are. He calls us now as we are. Ordinary people with strengths and weaknesses, like Gideon, like Bonnie, to reveal him through our lives with the people that we know and the places that we are. Not because we're the best, but because God is with us and he's at work in us. And so when we look at Gideon's story, Let's be confident, think to ourselves, wow, if God can do this with Gideon, then he can do it with me. So shall we pray? Father, I thank you for this story about Gideon, and I thank you that you are with him, and you are patient with him, and you achieved great things through him. Even though he was young, he was shy, he was timid, he was afraid. Because of you, he could do it. And I thank you that you are with us. You are with us by the power of your Holy Spirit right now today. And we may feel all those things that Gideon felt, but because of you, we can do it. Because of you, we can see great things. We can see your love shared. We can see people touched. We can see you change our lives and others because of your great love. And so I ask Holy Spirit, would you come again now and fill us with your power and your presence and stir up in us that heart to reveal you where we are. see what you do through us. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thanks.